Take me away. All right. Welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis. I am your host, Nick, the saucy one cat source, humble servant of rock and roll. And as always, I am broadcasting to you live from Atlanta, Meth and Honey, Caraville, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my wicked, my sassy, my mountain fabulous producer, the butter to my parquet, Danielle Prizer. Oh, are you with me, darling? I am. Uh, we we had a moment. We uh, we had the front door open there for a minute. Oh, was like, it the ah! wind? No, actually, it was a, a, a short little visitor who had to come get close. Um, anyway, now I, I'm not sure. If you're aware, or if the listeners are aware, we, we are having a very special guest this evening. Um, he has not called in quite yet, so if in the midst of your idiot fanboy shtick, he has not called, then we will be calling him. So that'll be okay, interesting. Okay, well, let's get to the business at hand, because this is our last broadcast of 2013. Um, we're taking a break from all our shows, so we can kind of streamline things. Um, everybody knows that maybe two weeks ago we stopped doing the Friday Night Drunken Trivia and the Sunday political show, The Ignorance Equation. And um, for anybody who hasn't been following the Facebook pages or Twitter or whatever, the reason we had put everything on hold is because when we started doing this, we were just going to do one show, the political show. And it was basically going to be once a week, me on the mic, just kind of talking politics, maybe taking some calls. Things have really kind of blown up and got bigger faster than anyone probably expected. We didn't have any kind of infrastructure built. So on top of our normal, if you can call it normal lives of work, kids, um, you're in school, all that good mm-hmm. stuff, we were also in, you know, we also put up the Friday Night Drunken Trivia Show, which is your baby. And mm-hmm. I started doing a music show because I was like, well, if I can get people, you know, like Titus and former mayor, Richard Muti on the Sunday show, let's do a show where I can just fanboy out and have people that, like, just totally floored me growing up you know, as an artist, music-wise. So the other two shows we put on hold because we have to get sponsors. We put the YouTube channel up, working on the Roku channel, and a ton of other stuff. And we had to get guests and write, or contestants, rather, and write questions. You had to write the questions for Friday night. Mm-hmm. But the music show... I could kind of chuck along and kept doing because all these bands I've listened to for 15 or 20 years, I know everything about them. So it wasn't like I had to do a whole lot of preparation 
for this, you know, it's just kind of like get on there and talk to them about, you know, everything that I've always been a fan of, I guess. But yeah, we've got great stuff coming up next year on Musical Osmosis. Um, I believe I have I got the okay from the Vandals, and then I haven't heard back with a confirmation. I was going to try to do one more show this year, but I think they're going to get pushed back to January. But mm-hmm. as far as the big guest on Musical Osmosis in January, would you like to let the audience know who that is? I would absolutely love to. We are just waiting to make sure that they can make the date that we have chosen, but we will have the Flowbox on our show. Absolutely. And I'm so excited I can't even stand it. Yep, and on the Sunday show, we are going to have actress slash author Jamie McCall. We are going to have the star. Yep, she's actually a stand-in, so she was on the set but not actually doing acting in that particular episode. Um, We are going to have the writer and the star of the movie The Dirties on our first show on Sunday. Um, who else? Chris Naravano. I always butcher his name. Novembrino. Novembrino. Don't worry about the government. Mm-hmm. We'll we're, be on uh, the second um, show. Yep. Then we're going to have Jamie McCall and then Charles W. Thompson, who is the author of the book you are reading right now, I believe. Is that right? Indeed. You're reading his now about the government worth assassination? Saving. No, oh, no. Okay, it's that's that government one. worth saving, that one. And also... We're going to have a good buddy of mine who's very involved in helping the needy, helping the hungry. Andrew Gimme of Honored Way Production will be on the first show in February. And last but certainly not least, your baby, first oh, Friday course. in January, fa- Friday, Friday in January. Third, who am I playing in Drunken Trivia? Uh, you will be going up against, if, if anybody saw uh, the TBS series, Cave the Nerds, you will be going up against the comic book girl, Elena, Elena Smith. Uh, she, she, you know, she was one of those who she got on the show for her, for her mind. I mean, really, uh, she was, she is the uh, comic book guru. And so we are going to have a comic book themed show in its entirety. Uh, everything will be comic book themed. Our prizes are comic book themed. Um, every question will have some root or base in the book universe. So we are going to have a ton of fun with that. And Absolutely. direct everybody where they can keep up with us during the holidays since this is our first, our last, sorry, live broadcast to the first. Of course, you can always go to facebook.com slash musicalosmosis, uh, facebook.com slash drunken trivia or ignorance equation. And all of those places will take you to our Facebook page. Uh, you can find us on tr- Twitter, of course, twitter.com slash drunken trivia or twitter.com IG underscore equation. And all of those things, it, if you can find one, you can find the rest of them. If you can find me, you can find Nick, you can find everything. So we're good to go. Absolutely. All righty. Well, I've got my beer in my hand. I have got my Vindictive T-shirt on in celebration. Um, In a few moments, hopefully, we'll be having Joey Vindictive from one of my Mm -hmm. favorite all-time favorite punk bands, the Vindictives, on. And i got to tell you why I'm excited about tonight's episode. Um, 
The Vindictives, more than any other band, had the biggest influence on my writing style. If not the music, then definitely the lyrics. And, I mean, here's why. The Vindictives, they walk that razor-thin line between the absurd and the obvious. And while they're staying true to that crass-snotty, vindictive sound, at the same time, they're not afraid to take a chance and do something completely unexpected, like their album, uh, Music for Robots, which this is kind of like, it's, a, it's their older songs, but they redid them, no lyrics, just electronic, like Xanadu-type music. kind of sounds like the old Marble Madness game, like in that vein, but it's all classic Vindictive songs. It's awesome. And, I mean, they were, like, really true pioneers as far as just the way they did music. It's something that really spoke to me. And I always said when I had my band, even Steven, even Steven was the Mad Magazine of punk rock, and the my writing style, I just got it straight out of the Vindictive's playbook. So I'm really excited to have Joey on tonight. Um, I also got to let everyone know out there that this was the hardest episode of Wednesday night musical osmosis for me to put together because I love music, and I'm the kind of person when I really get into something, I want to share it with everybody I know to the point of being fucking obnoxious about it. So the challenge for me here is in a short hour that I have, I have to sum up why I love this band and like playing two or three songs and asking about a dozen questions. And usually when someone says, you know, what's your favorite couple songs by so-and-so band? I could be like, oh, yeah, Pennywise, Badge of Pride, and um, Broheem, or um, No Effects, like Bob and Franco on American. But with the Vindictives, I have like at least 20 favorite songs, and they're all my favorites for completely different reasons. So as far as trying to sum this band up and to people who have never heard them in an hour, that's pretty much going to be impossible. But I'll give it my best yeah. bet, best try. Um Real quick, you guys know from listening to the show, I only invite bands on that have had a huge impact on me as an artist. I always like to give a little bit of history, how the bands impacted me growing up um, before I cue them in. So let's set the Wayback Machine to 1995. God, it was almost 20 years ago, and I feel like half the people listening were toddlers when 1995 <laughs> was. And I was like 25 or something. God. Anyways, Jerry Garcia, after, I don't know, taking more drugs than Woodstock and Lollapalooza put together, he finally died. Um, OJ, that same year, was found not guilty, and Americans rejoiced. And also in 1995, just for a little bit of trivia, one of my favorite movies came out, The Usual Suspects at the Big Screen. And believe it or not, The Vindictives was actually not introduced to me by Pat Sheehan, one of the few punk bands that I know that I can't contribute to getting to know through Pat Sheehan. Actually, our first singer, my buddy Jason Budd, introduced them to me. And I remember um, we were driving around. He popped the Vindictives in, the many moods of the Vindictives. And usually it takes me listening to a band a few times before I actually really get into them. I have to have that familiarity. But with the Vindictives, like, it was instant. Like, every song just rocked me where I was like, holy shit, who are these guys? And... um I can't honestly remember any time between 95 and 2002 that I went to a party or that I was like going on a road trip with my friends that the Vindictives wasn't a soundtrack to. Like that album, The Many Moods of the Vindictives and No Effects' um, Drunken or Punk and Drublick, those two albums were like the soundtrack of my youth. Anyways, that's all with my idiot fanboy. Let me go ahead and cue in Joey. Give me a second to pull him up here. All right, Hello. Joey Vindictive. 
Are you with us, sir? Yes, I am. All right. Thank you, you for calling in, Shelly. I'm a longtime fan. How are you doing? Good. Good. Yeah, we've been working uh, most of the day. And, um, well, this is my break. <laughs> right on. Well, I hope to make it enjoyable for you. Um, you heard in the monologue, I'm a huge fan. I wanted to ask you right off the bat, because I noticed your music, there's almost something vaudeville about the way you guys present your music and your lyrics, that I want to just talk about your unique sound, the harmonies, the way you do punk rock. Was this something you intentionally set out to do, or is this like a lot of Chicago bands have that super high energy type of sound? Was this just indicative of where you grew up in Chicago, or was something you set out to do, or is this just kind of natural progression of the Vindictives? How did you get there? Well, uh, you know, about ten years before I did the Vindictives, I was I was in a, a lot of hardcore like punk rock bands. Um, you know, Victims of Society was the only one that resulted in an album, um, and, and that was at a time in Chicago when you know only a few bands had albums out. Uh, it was you know, kind of a big deal to to do that. And so I spent a long time doing the hardcore thing, and uh, there's a lot of energy required there. And um, definitely, so, but yeah. So so uh, with the vindictives, it was you know nothing is really. Well, I, I guess some people are very conscious nowadays. Um, of what they're doing, you know, like we want to sound like this band or, you know, whatever. Um, I, I really wasn't, you know, uh, planning really too much. I mean, and I, I think that's really the only way you can write uh, good songs is, is you, you just have to write whatever comes to you and, and work with that. Um, you know, too, too much, deliberation on it is is going to fry it and and make it sound phony or whatever and uh so i you know i i'm a big music fan record collector so i do a lot of analysis of other music but i i try very hard not to analyze my own right now so, i know you um were heavily influenced by the ramones how does that seep into your music without totally kind of making you copy or emulate them? How does it influence you without you actually kind of going after their complete sound? Well, again, uh, back in the early days of, of the Vindictus, like, um, there, there weren't, there wasn't this whole cult of Ramones thing yet, and there wasn't Ramones clones, bands, or any of that stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, in Chicago, and back in, you know, the early days, you wouldn't find many people who would accept the Ramones as a punk rock band because they had long hair and they didn't fit the trappings of... Chicago had a very strict code uh, back in those older days. So you and mean in the actual punk scene they wouldn't accept the Ramones as a punk band, not in, like, any kind of commercial sense. Right. You didn't see 
people at punk rock shows wearing Ramones T-shirts, you know, and right. uh, so it was it was sort of uh, I mean, and back then you didn't see really any commercially bought T-shirts because everybody just made their own. Like I, I remember when like bands first started coming out with with screen printed T-shirts, you know, that they did themselves. And, uh, you know, this was in the early 80s. And uh, it was like, wow, that looks like a real T-shirt. <laughs> you know, it's not... Uh, I remember those days. And and, and it was a surprise um, to see that. So, so, yeah, the Ramones thing, I mean, I, I, I liked the Ramones. The, the connection to them with punk even uh, was considered kind of distant in a, in a lot of people's heads. In Chicago, it was very, very strict, you know, hard kind of thing. And um, I, I, you know, I mean, I was always a fan. And, uh, but, the, you know, the Ramones kind of were one of those bands that I always felt were maybe a little above uh, punk in the in the sense, you know, like revisionist people will say, well, Iggy, you know, is the and the Stooges is the Godfather of punk or whatever. But no one was saying right. that back then. They were they were just saying, oh yeah, that's just like rock music, like you know, like there was it was very serious, like the the pedigree that uh, was punk rock. So when I went into, you know, start the Vindictives, it was, it was just the idea that you could inflect melody into your punk songs. Uh, like many of my old favorite British bands, like the Buzzcocks and stuff did, you know, um, like I, I would I would personally, you know, say, well, I was probably more influenced by like something like the Buzzcocks or something like that than than the Ramones. Uh like I didn't ever really think of that, you know, at that time. We we ended up getting uh sort of lumped in with those with, with the Ramones type bands, but I, I, you know, I never really thought of us that way. Um, it, it, it was uh, an honor to be thought of. I, I really loved the Ramones, um, and uh, you know, but comparisons didn't really even start to come until down the line. Like you, you said, you got into it, and in like around '95, you know, by then right. everything, you know, like. Uh, the large body of our older work had already been recorded. And, um, you know, it was like, uh, you know, it was sort of changing gears at that point in the band. I was, you know, I was very ill at that time in in 95 and uh, it was a rough year. (laughs) And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really make a direct Ramones connection. I mean, and that was, 
you know, when we covered uh, the Leave Home album, uh, right. I, I felt like, well, you know, the Ramones are like a very specific thing. And if I'm not careful with it, it will end up sounding like a Ramones cover band. And I think the reason that we're being asked to do this is because someone wants a, a, a different take on it, you know. So I sort of used the record as more of a, I don't know, like sheet music, you know, and, and mm-hmm. interpreted it um in a way that gave people a, a Vindictus record using Ramon's songs rather than covering them straight away. Well, that's a good segue into your history. And I, you know, I knew of your first three albums. I, I had never even heard of Music for Robots until I started um, kind of doing my homework. But I grew up with the first couple of Vindictive albums. And I was looking at your discography, and it is nutty because you've got your first two full-length albums, which have covers, and then your third album, of course, the one I grew up on, and many moods of the Vindictos, are, I guess, redubs, remixes of your earlier single stuff. And then you've got Music for Robots, and in between you also have Hypnopunk, which is a kind of a conceptual album. You guys have, like, and this is awesome, this is a good thing, but you guys have, like, the most abnormal way of putting together and releasing music. Was this by design that you did like two cover albums and then you did The Many Moods and then you jumped into a conceptual album? Like you've just never really done a straightaway, here's 15 new tracks album. Well, I mean, the, it's, it's again, you know, like The Many Moods of the Vindictives is a compilation of all of our early seven inches and EPs and right. songs that were on like comps and things like that. And so that was all the stuff that came first. And um, it didn't get wide release. You know, we, we I have a, I get tired of things really quick, you know. And uh, so things just have to keep moving like in order for me to feel interested and, and remain interested. So I, uh, we were just putting out like a new seven inch every few months and, um, and keeping that nice and steady. So I think a lot of people, you know, think of party time for assholes and the Ramones leave home as like our first stuff. That was all done after we had spent a long time working on, you know, you know, doing all the original stuff and everything, and um, and you know, there was uh, quite a bit of time in between there. I mean, we were not even really playing very much by the time those records came out. Just at how uh, quick things went, at the pace that things went, it was. It was important for me to just keep things moving quickly. Again, like I I said in the beginning about consciousness, um, the best way to, you know, not get conscious, self-conscious of your own music is just to keep moving really fast and doing something new all the time. And uh, Definitely. 
yeah, so, I mean, all those other titles that you mentioned, you know, it's like, I, I, will, I mean, I, I mentioned I'm a record collector, and so I like a lot of different types of music. Uh, you mentioned Muzak for robots, and right. But for me, that's that instantaneously brings into my mind unplugged, which which was, you know, it was like I heard some acoustic covers of some punk songs, and I was like, oh, it would really be cool to do some of our songs, acoustic, like, what would that sound like, you know? And we didn't want to just go into it with a, like, sort of folk strumming kind of thing, you know, we were like, but let's do it, like, completely unplugged, you know, not an acoustic guitar with a pickup in it, let's do everything unplugged, you know, all 100% acoustic instruments, and... So, I mean, we, you know, we pitched in our money and hired a, a Russian violinist. Uh, we nice. did the guitar's finger style, which is classical. And, you know, so everything was done really just completely organic. The only electronic equipment allowed was the microphone. And uh, so... Upon finishing that, I started to think about, huh, now what would be the opposite of that? <laughs> um, you know, I, I like a lot of the German uh, rock bands and things like that, and I was like, what would be the opposite of Unplugged? You know, like, well, the that's complete opposite of that would be to do everything electronic, 100% electronic, like, you know, not and music for, music for Robot is fucking brilliant. Like I said, I hadn't heard of it until I started digging back into your history, but I downloaded it, and at first, like, it hit me. I was like, wait, what the hell is going on? Because I didn't read anything about it prior <laughs> to it. I was just like, oh, I never heard of this album. And then I was like, right. oh, my God, this is like a totally, like, electronic version of their songs. And I was just blown away. Here I am, a fan of 15 years, and I found something old that still is, like, blowing me away about you guys. So I was really, really impressed when I heard that album. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot. Of, uh, you know, I mean, I would say Unplugged was the hardest record um, that we ever did. But uh, the uh, are you guys self-producing at this point? Do you have your own studio and you're just self-producing, or are you still working with a label? Oh no, we weren't. We really, you know, I mean, Hypnopunko. Um, some of it was recorded at uh, Sonic Iguana by Master G, um, but the majority of it was recorded here at our home, and that um, was like around '99, I think, or something. I don't know. And ever since then, uh, you know, I've enjoyed the. Um, ability to have a home studio and and work on things and and I mean the the big problem and and even now uh with a home studio the the problem that exists with a setup like that is that if you want things to sound real like it's easy to bang something out and 
sound like a home studio recording. But if you want it to sound better and you want it to sound real, I guess is the word, like it was, you know, like like taken seriously, there's a lot of things you have to do in order to bring it to that level, which takes a lot of time. So there's a lot of time involved in bringing things to a, a sort of professional sound when you're using a home studio um, kind of trying to get that processing feel out of there is a difficult chore. And um, I gotta imagine it's a lot more gratifying though to be engaged in every single part of the music making process, right? It definitely is. It, it's it's definitely fun, um, but you have nobody, you know, to like yell at, you know, <laughs> or, you know, right. any mistakes you make are your own, and you've got to deal with them, and that's that's part of the price you pay for freedom, you know, is is that you're responsible, responsible, mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't know. I mean, and a lot of that is just a financial thing. You know, you you spend in time what you can't afford in, in cash, you know. And because um, it's expensive to, like, like to do something like like a full, like Hypnopunko, uh, to do that whole thing in a studio would have cost a fortune. Um, with all the layering of the vocals and all this uh, electronic trickery, you know, it's like uh, it would it, it would cost a small fortune, you know, and um, we never would have that kind of money, and 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 no label is going to give it to us, so you know, it, it's it's just part of it, but yeah, it's. It's all home studio stuff, and, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of it can be taken care of if you have a good mastering guy. Um, They know how to bring things out to where it sounds as good as it possibly can and and covers the full range, you know, of of all the different frequencies and all that, but... um, well, I mean, that's what yeah. makes you guys really ingenious because a lot of punk bands, and I mean, I include myself in this, when even Steven went in the studio, we recorded 14 tracks in six hours. We went in a room together and was like, we're just going to play. And you guys are like a surgical instrument, especially with the harmonies and the way the music's arranged. I mean, you guys take this, it seems to me, from listening to you really fucking seriously. I mean, it's great, and it shows when you listen to the album. Yeah, I mean, I, well, and, you know, a lot of that comes from, if you listen to really early punk rock, I don't know, something like alternative TV or, you know, things like that. You know, those guys were actually in a real studio being produced by a real producer. You know, they weren't just throwing things together, which became sort of like the, like, it's punk, man. You know, like, who cares? You know, like, you kind of had to have, like, a lot of people had that sort of fuck it attitude. 
And I, I just never could get behind that as far as the recordings go. I, you know, I, I again, this goes back to being a music collector. I want things to sound as good as they possibly can. And so, you know, why not take punk rock really seriously? Like, why not take it, you know, as serious as they did in, in, in back in the day where it was not, it's almost like a, oh, I don't know, like a second-class or third-class citizen uh, approach a lot of people have to recording punk rock, you know. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just punk, man. Like, you know, that's the way, like, people will describe music that really doesn't even fall within the genre of punk. You know, this, yeah, man, they just fucking nailed it out, like, punk rock style, you know. And it, right. And, and what that means is that it just kind of sounds bad. You know, like to a lot of people, and uh, I, I wanted things that would stand the test of time and that would sound good um, because it's important to me. You know, and uh, so you spend extra time. Well, and that's why you guys were the soundtrack to my youth, and even Steven sold like twelve albums for that exact point <laughs> because I don't think we took it seriously. We just kind of did our thing threw some songs together, went out and, like, played shows. I mean, we pounded the pavement, but we didn't have that precision that you guys had. So, I mean, it definitely paid off in the long run, I feel, as opposed to a lot of bands that I grew up with that just kind of threw it together and was like, okay, I'm in a punk band now. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's, I guess it can be fun, you know, to be in a punk band under those terms, but, like, you know, why not step it up a little bit, you know, and, like, Put some right. I mean, I took the writing music. seriously because I was always a guy that was like more into lyrics than actual right. music in any genre, and that's why I love the vindictive songwriting style. I mean, it's just so crass and, and like so snotty in your face, it's, and just kind of makes you look at our culture in this warped mirror. So definitely lyrically, I labored over my lyrics, but then when it came to the actual music. Like, I used to tell people, I'm not a bass player, I'm a performer. I'm a writer and a performer. I picked up a bass because it was the easiest instrument. I just want to be on stage, and I just want people singing my lyrics. So, I mean, that was kind yeah, of my see, approach from it. And here's the thing, though. People pay attention first to the music. If you don't have good songs, they're never going to get to the lyrics. You know, like, they're not going to hang around long enough to really spend the time deciphering the lyrics, um, you know, so, so, so you have to make, you know, I mean, you got to make really good songs, you know, like you got to try at least to make like a song, like for every original song that's out there, I probably threw away a dozen, you know, because I want, it's a song is more than just a background to the words. It, it's got to be something that catches people, and and then makes them. And, and you know, only a small percentage of people are gonna care about the lyrics. Like even even bands that they love, they don't really delve into them that much. You know, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I'm primarily a lyricist. I I like to think and. Um, so I wanted good enough songs that would make people want to check out the lyrics a little more, you know. And uh, 
Right. You can attract people. You can you, you can attract people with you know good songs. And, and the the opposite works as well. Is if you you know have songs that just sound really good on the surface, but underneath when you start listening to the words, it kind of falls apart. You know, it's like you, know, you, you need to have both, and a lot of that is just well luck, work, I don't know, you know, there's a, a formula, I guess, to things, and, um, you know, that, you know, they don't put red pepper in chocolate cake, you know, for a reason, like, <laughs> when you're making a recipe, you don't, I don't know, so, so you try to find all the ingredients that are going to make it work, and, uh, uh, but, you know, at the same time, if you're not surprising people, again, I can only, I can only comment as a fan. I'm a, I'm a big music fan. I love, you know, I mean, I, I love music. And um, for me, I want to be surprised. Like when, when I buy a new record by a band, I want them to surprise me. I want, I want to be guessing. What is, what is this going to sound like? You know, it's like, oh wow, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, curious. And, you know, you're asking people for twelve, fifteen bucks to drop on your album. You should deliver something that is worth it. You know, and I've always felt that way. It's a, uh, it's a. Uh, I don't know. It's like a, I guess it's kind of like a blue collar sort of way to look at it. Um, but, you know, everybody's just fooling themselves. If they don't realize they're selling something, you know, you are selling something. And, you know, it, it's like when you spend the time, when you sit down to write a song, uh, you you need to be conscious of the fact that if you're going to put that on a record, you're asking for someone's money in return for that. And money is hard to come by. Some people, you know, are shoveling shit for a living, you know. And um, if you're going to ask for their money, you should be giving them something that you really put a lot of effort into and, yeah. you know, like that you really care about, that you can defend. I mean, that's... That's a, a, a thing about any song that I would write is that I have to look at it before I'm going to uh, make it public and say, well, you know, is, does this make sense or is it just a lot of words that sound cool together? You know, I, I, have, to be able, I have to be able to explain it at least to myself um, so it has some sort of honesty to it. Uh, you know, and so looking back on your body of work, do you look back now and say, "Damn, I wish I stuck that song on that album," or "I wish I never let that song get onto that album"? Looking back, are you pretty happy with all the choices you made? Since you do have so much material that you just kind of put to the side. Well, yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why I never hesitated to throw things out because I had been in a band before and I knew what it was like to, you know have a have a I mean, you know, back then it was really hard to get on a stage, you know, like you played basement parties and loft parties and things like that. And the worst thing was 
having to stand up on a stage or on a whatever with a microphone in front of a bunch of people and sing something that you felt kind of sucked, you know. And so I was, that was a mistake I was never going to make again. I, I was, I, I can't control how other people are going to feel about what I do, but I'm going to make sure that I feel good about what it is that I'm, I'm saying. I'm not going to have to, I'm never going to be in that position where I have to do something that I think is just kind of, eh, you know, not too good, yeah. kind of sucks, you know. I wanted to be proud right. of everything, so, you know. It, and throwing away tons of songs is a great way to do it, you know. Um, it, you know, if they're not working after a certain amount of time, shouldn't have a lot of patience with them. Just throw them away. If they're, if they're good, the good parts will come back to you later, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I've learned, you know. So discard quickly. That would be uh, the advice I would give anybody writing songs, you know, uh, especially nowadays where um, there's just so much music on the Internet and everywhere, and it, it there's a lot of it that's just poorly thought out and it's just clogging up the things for people who are taking it real seriously. Um, you know, it's like you, you should really give it your best effort. And I, you know, I believe that uh, everybody has some good songs in them if they really, really want to work at it. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a neat way to sort of, Preserve your expression at at a certain point in time. I mean, in in my memory, when I think of things, I kind of think of things in terms of bands that I was in or uh, songs maybe that I was writing at the time. It's hard for me to think of years and things like that. It's more like, oh yeah, that's when I was doing this thing or that project or whatever, you know, and. Um, because it's a state of mind that kind of encompasses the, the way you feel when you, you know, wake up or go to bed or whatever. It's like you're kind of in a certain place that whole period that you're writing something. And uh, I, I think I've veered off, but, yeah. No, you're good. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, to, especially, like, to me, because, you know, Nick's on the side of, you know, he is a punk musician or he, or was, whatever, and, you know, he wrote that kind of music, whereas, you know, I'm on the side of I sing, that's it. You know, I can't sing it if I don't feel it, but it has to be fun. I have to enjoy it for whatever reason. So it's like, you know, a lot of, for me at least, everything of yours that I, I really like was because I was like, hey, that's fun. You know, the first couple seconds is like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. And it stuck with me because, you know, not necessarily because it was, you know, cookie cutter, but because, like you said, you're always trying to do something a little bit different and really trying to give people something for that hard-earned money. And it's like, well, hey, this is this is different. This is new. This isn't sellout. This isn't every single other thing that you've heard on the radio 500 times today. This is something just a little different, a little better. And yeah, and the energy level. You know, yeah, hopefully you're oh, always crazy. Like oh, like I said in the intro, usually I have to hear a, yeah, a album a few times to really get into it. But you guys' energy was so high 
Like, I, I, I loved your album immediately, and that only has happened a handful of times in my life where I heard something the first time, and I was like, this is awesome. So, I mean, definitely high energy. I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, encouragement. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. well, I don't know. I, yeah, I did. It, it, there is. I mean, I I I come, from, you know, from a sort of blue collar standpoint on on music, you know, which is not real popular in the U.S. Um, where like I don't have, you know, I, like you know, people are very quick to use the word sellout or whatever. And, you know, I have no problem with people that are making a living off of music. And and that can be at many different levels. I'm I'm not a fan of the rock star kind of thing. Um, I think there needs to be more room for, you know, someone who just wants to make a living off of music as if it's their job. You know, they don't want to... They don't want to be a, a so I you know like and you see this a lot with younger people and I try and I've tried to talk with them you know I don't know how, you know I had I mean I I raised my children my 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 daughter's uh, going to be 33 years old and um, you know I had kids very very young and I didn't I, let's just say. Uh, Without calling my wife a ex-wife a, a crack whore, that she wasn't a very um, uh, she wasn't a very participatory parent. So I was very I was raising <laughs> I, I was raising my kids on my own um, until I met my current wife, uh, and uh, we're approaching our 25th anniversary. Um, oh, wow. I've yeah, never done and, anything for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, Job, and girlfriend, is, nothing. I can't imagine. Because they're approaching their 25th anniversary. I mean, yes, they are. Um, that's that's coming up uh, 2015, um, and and we have some fun things planned out for that. But uh, oh. yeah, I mean, well, you know, you get older and and. You find, I mean, and that's that's a thing. Like like I was saying about blue collar. Like I, I know musicians who have an attitude of of like, yeah, this is you know, this is what I do for a living, you know. And that I, I find that a really honorable and artistic sort of way to live a life. You know, it's like, you know, uh, when Green Day started to make it big, you know, become celebrities or famous or whatever, uh, it became the goal of every young band to, they thought they were going to become famous rock stars or something, you know, and... uh, Now, were you on Lookout the same time when Green Day was on Lookout before they broke big, or...? We were on the label at the same time, um... And How did that it, impact you and all the other lookout bands when they finally broke through? Did did that change the whole philosophy of that record label at that time? Well, I think so, I think some 
bands thought that just being associated with Lookout meant they were going to become the next rock stars or something like that. But the majority of people kept their heads on their shoulders. And, um, you know, I didn't have any bad experiences with Lookout. They were always, you know, my main, my, my person there, you know, was Chris Applegren. And he became the president of Lookout after Larry left. And, uh, you know, nothing but good things to say about them. Um, they're, you know, they always treated me fair. And, uh, you know, things started to fall apart with Lookout at a certain point. I don't really know any of the details of that, but it, it, uh, it didn't affect me negatively or anything. Um, you know, it, it, I've never been able to find as good of a label, you know, uh, that was able to take care of you, advance you, the money you needed to work on something or, you know, because when you're working on something, it takes a, a lot of time and energy and you're really kind of locked into that thing. Um, so it's helpful to have someone behind you that you know is going to promote it properly and is going to take care of it, you know, uh, take care of your new baby, you know. And But, yeah, I mean, like I, I was saying, I, you know, so I, I have a daughter who's a lot of her friends, you know, they all had bands at the time, and they a lot of those kids thought they were going to become, you know, rock stars, whatever, and, you know, my advice always to them, um, none of them are music anymore, but, you know, I was like, you know, you guys don't need to become a rock star. You know, you need to look at it like this is my job and just craft good songs and, and like, make good records. You know, don't, don't waste money, you know, like, but, you know, uh, I mean, it's not their fault. They were young kids, but most of that uh, fell on deaf ears. Um, but, you know, I really do believe that that is sort of the ideal way, or at least for me, uh, would be an ideal way to live. It's just the, uh, you know, it's like, oh, this guy, he uh, works in an office, this guy writes songs, you know, it's like... Right, and I think that's more reasonable today because I remember when I was young and my dad's like, oh, you're stupid, you're never going to be on MTV and make a million dollars. I was like, there's so much more you can do in music and be successful besides going down that road. But it didn't seem real to anybody back then because you were so disconnected from the process. Now that you have the Internet and you can put stuff on YouTube and self-produce and it takes, you know, the whole DIY thing to a brand-new level... Now I think people are starting to come out of that fog and say, you know what, I can make a living, the same living as a plumber, doing what I love and traveling and having that experience, and I don't even have to shoot for rock star. I mean, with with everything that's happening with the death of Tower Records and the album, that's not even a realistic goal for people anymore. So, I mean, in that small way, the Internet's been a positive on music. Probably yeah, I mean, I'm 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 very pro technology. I mean, I wouldn't be able to have, you know, recorded half the stuff I have if it wasn't for modern technology. Like, you know, I I know um, you were curious, like, what happened in between 
the 90s uh, Vindictives and lately and it's I, I mean I've just been in other bands I've been doing other types of music and I mean I just I just didn't use the Joey Vindictive name because I felt that misrepresented what I was doing um, but like one of the bands that uh, my my pet band, my favorite band that I uh, am in, uh, other than the Vindictives, is Fairy Wonderpuss, which is a more hard rock kind of psychedelic, I guess. I, I really have a hard time describing it. But, you know, we've put out a, a few releases, and we're coming up on our 10th anniversary and uh, going to be releasing uh, some EPs uh, like a compilation of things, sort of like the Fairy Wonderpuss version of the Many Moods of the Vindictives, I guess you could say. Um, nice. A compilation of things we've done in the past 10 years. And we're also Do working on Do you feel like album. no matter how successful you get in other bands that you're always going to come back to the Vindictives, that that's just kind of embedded in you? Well, you know, I didn't. I, I actually thought it was all over with the Vindictives. I mean... Um, you know, uh, Mikey from Sexy Baby Records, uh, contacted me and was like, you guys should do like a, at first he was, I guess he wanted older stuff or whatever, but he was like, you guys should do, you know, another record. We'll put it out or whatever, a seven inch or something like that. And I was kind of like reluctant. I really didn't think I had anything left to say, you know, with with the Vindictives. Um, but, you know, uh, me and uh, John, you know, uh, we started to play around with the idea, and I, I found some songs, like, in the guitar. You know, we, we started to play around, and, and we came up with some ideas, and uh, it was it was surprising to me, and again that goes you know back to like not analyzing too much. Just let's let's check and see if we you know there is still something, uh, you know that can. I mean, so you have to, you know, it's when a band comes back and and does something new again. Um, people are expecting certain things and uh, you don't want to give them, you know, tomato soup when they order chicken noodle, you know. You, you want to give them something. I mean, you know, people, people don't like to admit it, but when you're selling your music, you're working for someone. You're working for the people who listen to it. So you have a, a certain obligation. Right, you're an approval-based product. Exactly. It's a, it's a product that you want. You want to please the people that care about it. And so I felt like, well, if I can come up with some stuff that uh, I feel sounds vindictive you know, like we'll do it. And, and, and we ended up, you know, Finding a lot of songs, and so that's how come. Now you said you album. found them in the guitar. Does that mean you guys always put the guitar down first, and then the lyrics kind of evolve out of that, or do you come in with lyrics 
and you have an idea in your well, head, this is what the sounds like. A lot of it like, is, or... a lot of it, my efforts at, I mean, I have notebooks full of lyrics, but my efforts at taking pre-written lyrics and putting them to music have never been good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've never had success with that. Um, I know Bob Dylan did, I you know, uh, but I never, you know, have to, there's people like that, you know, that can do that sort of thing. Um, I don't have that skill. Uh, so I, I tend to like to, uh, I'll, sometimes I'll get an idea from something that I've written, say, you know, like lyrics or whatever, and that will kind of inspire some music. But then it always completely cycles away from what it was that, you know, was originally the inspiration, which is great, which is what you want. You just want, you just want seeds. You want something that sparks your imagination a little bit. You don't really, you know, you don't, you don't want sheet music. You want um, inspiration and uh, I guess a, a little bit of a muse or whatever. And, and then that can take you, uh, somewhere interesting, hopefully, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I use found in the guitar a sort of metaphorical thing, just kind of like, let's see what's in here, you know, um, because that's your voice or whatever when you start to fiddle around with it. I do get stuff, melodies or whatever, in my head, and... I'll hold on to them. I mean, uh, Johnny is a much better, much much better musician than I am. Like, I'm not even a musician compared to his um, musical skills. Uh, I'm I'm a songwriter and a lyricist, but like he can actually play the stuff that I write. You know, like I can't really play it all that well. I can sit down and write something. Um, that has parts to it. And then I can, you know, count on him to actually be able to play it fluently. And, and, uh, and so then we'll, we'll work on it from that point. Um, but I can put down notes and a rhythm that gives me something that I can write lyrics to, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, Johnny's one of the best that I've ever seen in my life. And so, you know, it's really helpful to have someone that can interpret your work, like, and make it sound like a real song, you know. And a lot of times I don't even know if I have anything until I see him trying to play it. And it's just not working or it is working, you know. Um, so that's... It's, you know, and you do want to try to surprise yourself. I mean, you need to leave enough room in there. I mean, you said, yeah, it was high energy and this and that. That excitement, I, I believe it comes from surprising yourself. Like you have to still feel like the song or whatever it is you're writing is kind of got that magical excitement in it. You know, like so many songs that people have done. I mean, I've been in a lot of bands and 
some of these songs, the best takes end up being watched in rehearsals because it's usually that first or second or third time that a song works that never gets recorded usually that um, is its best take. You know, like a, a band will get together and work and rehearse and work and rehearse, and then by the time they get into the studio, a lot of times the song can be dead. Um, so this is one of the reasons why it's really nice to be able to have a, a home studio because you can capture everything. You can capture that take when it just first clicked, you know, when it just first kind of made sense as a song. And then you can tweak it and, and you know, like do things to it and, and improve upon it. But you still are, are getting that initial excited, wow, this is really cool. Like it really works, you know. Um, that, that's the prize that's recorded. So, well, I got to say, as far as you guys surprising, like I remember the first time I heard "I Will Not" off Hippo Punko, and um, it was just, it it was so different than your sound, but it was so the same. I mean, you could tell it was a vindictive song, but it was so kind of dark on this other side. So, I mean, you guys are definitely very good about changing things up, pushing the envelope, and then of course, Muzak for Robots is a totally different universe. And, I mean, now that I'm talking to you, I definitely see the mind frame that went into Because I was like, wow, these, how are these guys doing this? You know, so, I mean, it's definitely nice to sit here and talk to you and understand you're always trying to surprise the audience and surprise yourself. As opposed yeah, to just yeah, like, okay, now we need to pump out. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, that, that's, that's why, you know, you watch a movie or you read a book or you like to meet a new person or – you know, whatever it is you do, you're, you're looking for a surprise in your life. You're looking for something that is going to add some excitement to uh, your day or your life. And songs are one really good way of doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and hopefully you can write songs that continue to surprise. Like when a person listens to it one, two, three, four times, they're still surprised, you know. Um, and and that's really all it comes down to, though, is surprising a person. You know, you watch uh, a movie, you know, it's like a, what the plot of every movie is. There's some people, they want to do something, but something different happens to change that. And, and then they deal with it. And that's the, you know, that's the plot of every movie. And so, so the same thing with a song. It's like, well, you have some instruments, you have a guy with a voice and some words, you know. So the trick is to try to make that surprising in some way. And, you know, as time goes on, I think it gets harder. Um, if you, you know, I mean, I, I follow other types of music besides punk. And I, I love the way, I, th I think right now is like the best time for music there has ever been because you have so many people trying to, they're, they're combining all these different elements that they grew up with. I mean, you're, you, you need to remember, you know, rock and roll is not that old. I mean, it's not really that old, you know, it's from the 50s. So you have people now combining 
all kinds of ideas, um, the widest amount of ideas that have ever been on the planet. And they're combining them all together to try and make something unique or, or surprising. And, and we're know, also in a time period where that's more acceptable because I remember back when I was a kid, everybody was diced up into little groups. And if you even tried to cross over, you know, you're pretty much, oh, you're a poser. Get out of here. How dare, like the first time I wore a Beastie Boys shirt, people were on my ass. They're like, do you like the Beastie Boys? Like all my metal friends when I was in high school. And I was like, do you understand Kerry King plays guitar in this album and Rick Rubin is the producer of it? But they didn't care. Yeah. Like things were so divided back then. So you definitely have a willingness now for people to say, I'll listen to anything. I don't want to be boxed into like one particular label. So I mean you're right. That's, See, that's awesome thing. for someone. That's awesome for someone like me because I like a lot of stuff, you know. And um, it, that was what I was talking about when we first started the talk. Was that like, you know, the Ramones had melody and they had hooks and they had, you know, they didn't play a million miles an hour. They had mid tempo, like. Pop, you know, really, really pop songs. Like if you listen, even to like you know, the Sex Pistols' first album or well, only album, it's a pop record. It's just played, you know, and they have a nasty sounding singer and and stuff like that. But so the Ramones, you know, were 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 not a real acceptable thing in Chicago punk. Um, I think because it maybe wasn't harsh enough. And um, right, image was everything I, back then. Yeah, it was, there was very segmented, rigid rules to what you could listen to. You know, it was um, it was like, you know, a, a big deal to admit that you listened to other types of music besides punk rock. You know, back then it was it was like, you know, coming out of some closet or whatever. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I enjoy other types of music, and uh, you know, um, that was. So, in the earliest vindictive days, did you guys get any pushback from people that are like, "What are you doing? This isn't really hardcore punk rock," or was or was well, people no, just generally the early days they of vindictive, I mean, the the early days of the vindictives, it was kind of like, um, well. So there wasn't your typical right. at the time that I start, I was I I was completely done with punk rock because I had spent you know almost not ten but maybe eight years in hardcore punk bands you know screaming at the top of my lungs spitting out blood after practice. You know what I mean? And I and I was pretty much done with that because at that time, uh, punk rock was turning into what is now known as crossover, which is like metal and, and thrash or hardcore. And I didn't, I didn't really find anything in that for me. I didn't really like that very much. Um, what I was into was, you know, I felt like enthused when I saw like the Butthole Surfers the very first time, you know, the very first time they right. played Chicago. Blew my mind because I forgot all about I thought, those guys. Oh, they were 
just something to behold in the early days because it was it was a pit of just thrash and hardcore and every band kind of sounded the same and um you know every, every band wanted to sound like DRI or this or that you know and and while I liked DRI because at the time they were original and unique and all that I didn't like the fact that every other band wanted to sound like them so I was done with punk rock I pretty much felt like I was done with it um and we put out we did we put out our album posthumously like it ended up coming out a few months after Victims of Society broke up and um that was when I first met Ben uh Ben Weasel and um, right. at the time I, I knew him as Ben Foster because I, they hadn't changed over to Screeching Weasel yet they were still calling their band All Night Garage Sale. And he sent me a fan letter because, you know, like I said, there weren't many bands. Uh, it was a big deal to put out a record. So, like fan mail, you, and you would pay attention to it. You know, you, you answered every piece of mail you got back then. And Ben emailed me, and it was like, I really love your album, blah, 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 blah. You know, and he was like, cool and we ended up talking on the phone and he's like yeah I'm going to be booking shows you know at this club and you know I wasn't very interested um, but he kept calling me you know and inviting me was he out. in the neighborhood how far away was he from me was he inside was Chicago far, well you know 45 minutes or something like that and gotcha. uh, so we had become pretty good friends just by talking about shared, you know, love for certain books and movies and bands and things like that. And it hadn't occurred to me that punk had progressed. I felt like, well, this is just going to be another hardcore band or whatever, you know. And so I did uh, go out to a show, and 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 he introduced me to this whole new sort of scene of bands that had melody in in their music, um, and and so then the second time I went to where he was booking shows at, at Dirty Nellie's, uh, Screechy Weasel played. Um, like I said, I don't even remember if they were called that then, but the the first song that I remember hearing. Uh, that caught my ears uh, what was Murder in the Brady House. And I was like, wow, this is like music. You know, this, this yeah. has, you know, like cool melodies to it and stuff like that. And so I became interested in, in punk rock again. Uh, again, it was another situation where I just didn't think I had anything left to add to it. And we had become really good friends by then. And it, he was like, you should start a band, man. You know? And I'm like, eh. I, at the time I was really busy with a lot of things. Like, you know, I had two kids. I was in, in college. I had my own business. I, I was a dental lab technician. I was, you know, running a support group. I was very busy. 
so I, I didn't really think about the idea of, of doing a band. Um, but after going show after show, you know, I started to get the the fever again, the taste, you know. And I was recording at yeah. home even back then, you know. And so I, I uh, yeah, I mean, Ben kind of cajoled me into it. And, um, and yeah. So now, was this a side project for him, The Vindictives, or did he leave the band for a while and do that? Um, what was the relationship in that time period with The Vindictives and Steve um, at Weasel? That, at that at that time period, Screeching Weasel, I believe, was on hiatus. Or no, I think he was he was doing the Gorgor Girls at that time, which was a side project that he was doing. Um, a, a really good one. Uh, I, I liked a lot. Um, and <clears throat> I need, you know, I, I had, I started the Vindictus. I don't even know if I had a name for it yet. I, I had Dr. Bob in the band. He was the first member and we would work on, just him and I would work on his back porch on songs. And, um, I needed a, a second guitarist to, you know, fill out the sound, and Ben was always good as a resource, you know, like, call this guy or check this guy out or whatever and see, you know, so I said, hey, Ben, you know, any, you know, people that would play rhythm guitar, and at the time, he had never played, really, you know, rhythm guitar in a band or anything like that, so he was like, oh, I'll do it, it'll be fun, you know, so that that was kind of how, uh, you know, him and I, and it was fun because, you know, it's fun to play in a band with your friends, you know, and um, right. so that was really the origin of, of the whole thing, um, you know, and yeah, it was All right, well, was we're almost out of time. I definitely want to get to the new album. Can you give us some information about the new album, when it's coming out, what we can look forward to? Um. Hard to give a deadline on Right now I'm working on a solo album. I'm working on a new Fairy Wonderpuss album. And I'm working on Fuck Unicorn for the Vindictives. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I see that, like, I have to stay busy. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret to people that have, like, you know, uh, an anxiety disorder and things like that. And, uh, I'm sure if you pay attention to the lyrics, you can tell I'm not completely there. <laughs> but That's okay. Nick's not there either. <laughs> yeah, Daniel has to deal with my anxiety all the time. That's why I do 600 so projects me, my, at once. My, my tactic for dealing with what ails me uh, is to keep busy. And, you know, like, I, I mean, we my wife and I and John's wife and uh, we, we, we had a, an art gallery and a theater that would have been coming up on its 10th anniversary um, in March, but we got closed down uh, by the city for a zoning thing. They changed the zoning in the area. Sucks. Um, yeah. So, so I, so we did, we composed a lot of music for live theater too. Um, and recorded it, and, and you know, that's, like I said, one of the great things about having your own studio is that, you know, I mean, we were able to, like, 
someone needed music, we could compose it and put it together and wham, you know. And uh, So, yeah, like, I've always kept very busy. Um, it's really the only way I know how to, like, function um, is by doing too many things, you know. Uh, but it's also great if you have a lot of ideas and things like that, you always have somewhere to funnel them into, which right now is why I find it necessary to have several bands, you know, is that uh, I want to, like, I don't want to put songs on a new Vindictus album, for example, that don't belong there. I want, uh, I want people to get what they want, you know, Um, and, so, you know, you write songs and you they end up in different projects and and um different places, you know. Uh the problem is, you know, is with with growth. Uh is that you for me, you know, like for, for punk rock or from from any kind of rock, like hard rock or to, to give it that sort of punkish edge, which is one of my favorite things about music, is I think you should always be working just above your comfort level. So mm-hmm. you, you need to be working a little bit beyond what you're able to really do, you know. Um, and oh, I know it, that feeling. Yeah, and it gives it gives your work a nice edge and it, it and it and it feels new then you know whatever you're doing has a, a freshness about it so you you kind of want to try and push yourself well when you've you know when you've been doing it for a long 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 time it's really hard to find musicians that can like fairy wonderpuss has three records out but we can't really play live. There's an abbreviated version maybe that you can do, but we haven't, because I can't find musicians that, like, would really want to commit to learning to play that a little higher level of of music. Everybody seems very much in a hurry to just, like, get on stage in front of people, you know, and... I'm I'm sort of the opposite of that in the sense that I don't I don't want anyone to you know hear what I'm doing until I feel like it's really good and so so I have a lot of songs um, that I, I work on it's just that uh, I need bands that can actually play it and devote themselves to it because um, it's a little more challenging than you know. Unless you're a really good musician, you're not going to pick it up in an afternoon. You're going to have to work it. You know, you're going to have to work hard at it. But that, for for me, that turns out great. You know, because it comes out in the music. It comes out as energy, as as you mentioned before. Um, that that playing above your skill level. Uh, comes out as trying really hard and and that work that that whole work aspect becomes part of 
what ends up getting recorded or played live. And so I, I like that, and that's desirable. But it seems like a lot of people, they don't want to push themselves. You know, they they found a little envelope, a little place that they like to play in. And right. And they're not... You know they're not willing to like go further and try to stretch their talents or you know like try to be better and you know I mean it just takes a little more work and 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 you can do cooler things you know uh, well, we are yeah. almost out of time in fact, we are out of time. I definitely want to thank you for giving me a great last show of the year. We're going to be back in January. I got to about a third of the stuff I wanted to get to. If you want, I would love to have you back in January because there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably have some good news by January, too, uh, about some of the projects and different things, like where they're going to be at, so... Nice. Um, I've got two songs here, Joining the Circus, because I wanted to touch on the new EP and we didn't get a chance to, and I've got Robot Man. Which one do you want to end the show with? Uh, Joining the Circus, because it's new. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. We will be back in January. Um, This is Joining the Circus. This is the newest one from the Vindictives. Joey, once again, it was awesome talking to you. Definitely had a big impact on me growing up. On my little group of friends, we always listen to you guys, every party, every road trip. Every memory I have is to, you know, any party memory I have from the 90s up to 2002, 2001, has the Vindictive soundtrack running through it in my head. I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. Here comes Joining the Circus. We'll be talking with Joey again in January. Osmosis. Um, I want to thank everybody who's been support- so supportive the past, I think we've been on the air five months now. 
It has surpassed every expectation I've ever had. We will be back in January. I think the first guest we're going to have in January is the Flowbots. But go and check out Musical Osmosis on Facebook. And we've also got a page, a separate Musical Osmosis page as well. Alrighty, until next year, Happy New Year's, guys, and I will see you in 2014.